I'm uh, I'm sort of excited to be here tonight, and uh, <laughs> so I want to share that uh, pseudo excitement with all of you. It would it be quasi excitement, or I don't know. But I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad you're here, and uh, let's take a few minutes. We'll pray, and then we will get a move on. Father, thanks for time to meet, a place to meet. We thank you, God, for your presence here. We've gathered in the name of Jesus. We ask you to lead us and guide us tonight. We pray that we would have a real sensitive ear and heart and mind to the Holy Spirit tonight and that we would respond to you. I just ask you that uh, you would speak, that you would challenge us, that, God, we would uh, hear something, perceive something, receive something tonight, uh, something different, something that would motivate us or move us closer toward who you want us to be. So I pray that we're open to that tonight. I pray that uh, if we're stuck in something, you would unstick us. If we are closed off, you would open us up. I pray if we are super tired tonight that you would impart to us some supernatural energy and life. And I just ask you that this would be a time where we seek you, where uh, we allow you to have your way in us. God, thanks. Have your way. I pray your anointing over the teaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All righty. That was a hearty amen. Thanks. I'm more excited now than I was when I started. That's great. Uh, if you have your Bibles, let's look at Numbers chapter 10. If you need a Bible, find one on a table around you. There's probably one there. And you can uh, get right to it. Numbers chapter 10. Numbers is toward the beginning of the Bible. It's one of the first few books there. <coughs> Numbers chapter 10 and verse 35. And if you're so inclined, you can read that out loud for us. And whenever the ark set out, Moses would shout, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. Let them flee before you. And when the ark was set down, he would say, Return, O Lord, to the countless thousands of Israel. All right. Thanks. And uh, what you see here is something that was an ongoing occurrence. And uh, we are uh, joining Israel at this point from the story and from the account that we're reading there that they're about to break camp. It's the morning, and it's time to go. And so the way that they knew it was time to go is that the cloud that rested upon the tabernacle would gather itself up back into a pillar. So it would be resting on the tabernacle, come back up into a pillar, and that would signify it's time to go. And so they followed the cloud and the pillar of fire. That's how they knew where to go, when to go. Uh, it, it, it metered out their time and the time that they spent in different places. It also was their guide, and so they would follow after that pillar, and they, whether it was fire or a cloud, and they were being led. Uh, if you ever looked at a map of their wanderings through the wilderness, anybody ever look at a map of their wanderings? kind of looks like a knot 
because it was just, you know that they could say they were going back places. They'd be like, I think I remember this place. Because they did. They passed through the same places over and over again. And they, they would go back through or wherever it is that the pillar was leading them. And they were being led. They were guided by a power greater than them. And they recognized that. Now, what does that, and I want you to think about that for a second, what does that teach you about the ways of the Holy Spirit? What does that teach you about the ways of God? Come on. All right, well, he may have, he may have laughed, I, I would assume. Unpredictable meaning what? What does that mean? Unpredictable to whom? To me, to you, right. Like, we don't know. All right, if we want to go between two points, What's the fastest way, what's the shortest way between two points? A straight line, right. And so, and so when I'm, you know, when I hike and I'm looking at where we're going, I can draw a straight line. Now, does that mean I'm going to be able to follow a straight line when I hike? What do you think? No. Okay, and the reason for that is there's not always a trail that goes in a straight line. Why isn't there a trail that goes in a straight line? Well, sometimes a straight line goes through bodies of water. Sometimes a straight line goes over big mountains. Sometimes a straight line goes through dense forested areas. Sometimes a straight line goes through swamps. Sometimes that straight line goes uh, up to a rock face or something. I'm not going to be able to follow a straight line all the time. And so I look at these maps, I look at the terrain, and in my own human brain, I can begin to look and say, okay, well, there's trails over here, there's a trail over here. I'm going to be moving in this general direction. These are the places that I want to go. And so by looking at the distances, I can figure out time, how long it takes to hike. And about that time as I'm hiking, I look at my watch, and I say, okay, a turn's coming up. And even on an unmarked trail, I can tell when the turn's about to come up based on time and distance and the time it takes to hike. Now, I do that without a GPS, right, because that's old school and that's how I roll. All right, that's orienteering. All right, so... That's how humans, we can figure stuff out like that. Some of us. Some of us can figure stuff out like that. All right, so now God is, is even bigger. He's not only looking at a map and a terrain map and has a compass and all the rest of that kind of stuff, but he also knows the past, the future, and the present. He, he lives in the now all the time. And so he's looking out for other factors that we don't even know exist. And when it came to the children of Israel going across the wilderness, there were factors involved in that, that there were lessons that needed to be learned, that they had no idea they needed to learn them. There were things that needed to happen. They had no idea those things needed to happen. There were people they needed to meet. They had no idea they needed to meet them. There, there, there was a generation that was going to have to die in the wilderness before they could enter the promised land. All of these things had to take place. And they didn't know when they were going to die. He did. And so throughout all of that, there were all these factors more than what I just said, a lot more than what I just said. But all of these factors and more that he took into consideration, and he was leading them, he was guiding them. He had the pillar of fire, and he had the, the, the pillar of smoke, the cloud. And so that's how they were moving. And all they knew is that they were to follow those things. Now, probably... There were people within that congregation of people, people within that group of people that could, in some ways, orienteer. Like, they knew where the sun rose, right? 
And so if they were supposed to be heading east by northeast or however they were going to get to the promised land and they were heading due west at some point or due south, did they know they were going in the wrong direction from their final destination? Yes, they knew that, okay? So, but what were their choices? Either follow the, the cloud and follow the pillar of fire or what? Just go off on their own? Pretty much death. Okay, but you could do it. You can do it. There's something about the desert that reminds us of our mortality. And I've been in a few deserts in my life. And I like the desert. Because things that matter a lot right here, like to us, they don't matter there anymore. I like that. I like the fact that there are certain things that really just don't matter anymore. I like the fact that there are certain things that don't seem to matter here that really matter there. And there's something about that existence, and there's something about that life, and there's something about the people that actually dwell there that, for me, and I'm just talking about me, that's super attractive. And you can kind of figure that out about me because I'm not shy about it. I'm not shy about going there. I'm not shy about spending time there. Is it hot? Sure. Is it uncomfortable? Yeah. They have those big spiders that are like this big around? Yeah. Yeah. There's some nasty animals out in the desert, and they're all trying to kill you and eat you. Why? Because they're hungry. That's why. Yeah. Water, you take water for granted? Don't take it for granted out there. <laughs> take food for granted? Don't take it for granted out there. And so these people, they followed the way that God told them to follow. Because what happened when, and as they followed these pillars and, and, and the fire and the cloud, what happened? What was going on every morning except for Sunday? What would they go out and gather? Oh, they had food in the wilderness. Where else were they going to get food? Nowhere. They had water in the wilderness. God provided supernatural water for them. Where else are they going to get that? Nowhere. And without food and water, you can wander in the right direction all you want. You're going to die eventually. you got about three or four days without water before you die. That's it. You can go longer without food, but you ain't going to go very far. And those of you that are fasted, I mean really just straight up water fasted, you start losing stamina after a few days, especially walking in 120-degree heat, carrying all of your belongings and dragging your kids behind you. So they followed the pillar, and it went in circles, and it went wherever it was going to go, and God's purposes were being done in their life. And what does that tell you about your life now? I mean, it's not life and death in your mind, Right? You fall after God, you don't fall after God. Life goes on. You're not in the middle of a wilderness. You're not in the middle of a life and death situation. You're not in the middle of, oh, I don't know where water's going to come from tomorrow or food. And so you don't feel like following after what God has for you. You just go do whatever you want. I'll just do this. Oh, but, you know, God, I'm whatever. Whatever it is, all right? And I, I can start naming things off, but you're going to think I'm talking about you. Right? I gotta say, well, well, yeah, but I don't want to live there, God. Yeah, okay. So I'm gonna go live over there. What does God have for you? But God, you don't understand. I'm really lonely. Yeah, okay. But what does God have for you? 
Oh, but God, I can make so much more money doing that. Yeah, that's true, but what does God have for you? I feel like I'm going in circles here. Yep, sometimes it feels that way. That's what God has for you, sometimes. And so just be careful how hard you judge the Holy Spirit, thinking you're smarter, or thinking you got a better idea, or thinking your compass or your GPS is so much better than Him. Just be careful that you don't take the tools that you have in your hand and trust them more than you trust the living God of the universe. Don't trust your own intellect more than you trust the living God of the universe. Don't trust the whatever it is, your emotions, more than you trust the living God of the universe. Be careful. Remember the map. Remember the children of Israel wandering, wandering, wandering. So that's what's about to happen here. We're joining the, the camp, the breaking camp, the, the presence, the, the cloud is leaving the tabernacle, rising up into a pillar, signifying it's time to go. And so what happens is that the, the people that carry the ark, they knew that was their cue. They went and they got the ark. They had to go through a procedure to do that. The tabernacle had to be broken down. All of these things had to happen, and it was time to go. If it was, if they'd been somewhere for a while, regardless, they had to get the ark ready. And so the guys picked up the ark. There's the pillar. There's the ark, and the rest of Israel begins to gather, begins to to, to put themselves together to break camp so that they can go. There's, a, there's a, a few words used here that says, and it came to pass. And what that, that, uh, that appears to indicate that any time Israel would break camp and begin to march, or when they would end the march or end their travel or whatever, it began and ended with a prayer that Moses gave. And so he began with a prayer and he ended with a prayer for wherever they were going and for whatever they were doing. And so every day that they moved, every day they were walking in circles, every day that they were going the same path they had gone before, whatever it was that was happening in their own minds, every day he would get up, he would pray, and at the end of the day he would pray again as they, as they set up camp again. So the priest would take up the ark to follow the cloud. The ranks would ready themselves and Moses would lift his voice. And I want you to understand that one of the reasons that he lifted his voice was to give the people a resolve. And what was that resolve? What did he read what he said again there? What did he say? What did he lift up his voice to say? Right. And so what do you think that did for the children of Israel? What does that tell them? Yeah, it was a, it was confidence. It was a, a supernatural resolve for what laid ahead. I mean, there were enemies. They faced enemies along the way. There were people that didn't like them. There were people that didn't want them passing through their land. There were people that opposed them. There were people that came out to fight them. There were people that hired prophets to curse them, that, that, that hired a prophet to curse them. He ended up blessing them, but they hired him to curse them. And so they had all of these enemies that were all around about them that they were going to face. But every time before they moved, they heard that voice, they heard that leader rise up with a resolve 
and say, rise up, Lord. Rise up, Lord. Let your enemies be scattered. Yeah. Yeah. Assurance. Confidence. Protection, like in a peace of heart. Peace of mind. As you're moving through. Because you got to remember, these weren't, like, this wasn't just an army, right? These were families. These are people that were traveling. Yeah, these are generational families. There were old people and young people and babies and little kids that were traveling with them. This is this is not just an army that's just setting out to, to to take care of business. And so if they were attacked in certain ways or the people came to them, I mean, most of the time, you think about the, the way that people lived back then, where were the families usually? They were inside of what? Cities, all right? You think about it. They were inside of cities, and what were around cities? Usually walls, and so they were protected. They weren't protected like that. They were out in the wide open, and so people on chariots could ride up on them. People on horses could ride up on them. They'd come out of nowhere, and who was at risk? Who was greatest risk? Your children, your babies, your, your, your moms. I mean, these are the old people. These are people that were at risk. And so there was a certain amount of, and I I want you to appreciate a certain amount of anxiety about what they were doing and where they were going, of what could happen. And so the way that they set their resolve and the way that they did it morning and evening was, Arise, O God, let your enemies be scattered. Now you see this in another place in the Scriptures. Not just Moses saying it here, but then uh, somebody look at Psalm 68.1. You see it again. And what this begins to tell us is that this, what Moses was doing, what Moses was saying, this became something more than just this event. This became something more than just, oh, it's just this particular circumstance where we want to hear this, or this particular circumstance where this needs to be said, or this particular circumstance where this makes sense, because it made sense in other circumstances. And that's why you see it in the Psalms. So Psalm 68, 1, what does it say? May God arise, may enemies be scattered, may his foes flee before him. All right. See it again, right? You see it again. That the psalmist brings that up, and he says it becomes an act of, worship because that's what the psalms are their worship and so it became a part of their worship that it wasn't just this moment and it wasn't just this circumstance with Moses but this became a part of the worship of the nation and this is hundreds of years later many many generations later where you see this written in the psalms so what does that tell you about the application to us you see it? I mean, do you, do you understand what what this is trying, or what we're trying to get to with this? Is that we're we're taking something that, yeah, this is historical. Yeah, this is in the book of uh, Numbers. Yeah, this is all about how they were moving across the wilderness and all that. But look at their circumstance. I mean, do we have anxiety? Yeah. Do we have uncertain futures many times? Sure. Do we always know what the Holy Spirit is leading us into or out of? No. And if we're, we're living the way that we're called to live, well, we're living in, in obedience. And within that obedience, there's a, there's a battle cry. Within that obedience, there is a, 
a cry that can come from our hearts, Arise, O God, let your enemies be scattered. And we can take hold of that resolve. We can take hold of that confidence. We can take hold of that peace. We can take hold of that joy of what that means. They, they took hold of it and they just moved and they went. The cloud, the ark, they were moving. And, and there's something interesting that the cloud and the ark were already moving. They'd already moved, and yet Moses still called on the Lord. Okay, think about this for a second. You see the cloud come up over the tabernacle. Everybody takes that cue together. Okay, we're moving. You see the priests, they see that. They pick up the ark. They position themselves. Everybody in the camp, they're starting to muster everything together, get stuff together. They know they're moving already. And yet Moses still cries out, Arise, O God. Isn't he up already? You follow it? Isn't he already up? Has he not already made his intention known that we're moving today? Yeah. It's already done. That what has happened has already, I mean, what he's calling for has already taken place. God's already arisen. The cloud has already come off the tabernacle. It's already in the pillar. The the ark is already on the move, ready to go. And yet Mo, there's Moses still saying this. Seems redundant in a way. But what it points out is the importance of us voicing. The importance is of us saying and speaking our desire. There is something powerful about that in our lives. There's something important about us expressing to God what we're looking for, what we need, what we want. Something important about us voicing what, who He is to us, who we are to Him. Because you, know, you, you talk to people and they're like, well, God already knows. Yeah, He does. He's all-knowing. But the point is, is that we need to voice that. We need to express that. That needs to be a cry of our heart. Oh, God's already on the move, so he's already got it. Yeah, he does. But what about us? What about us setting our hearts on what he's doing? What about us setting our hearts on his will and his time and his purpose right then? How about us agreeing with that? There's something important about that. And Moses, he gives us this example of it. I mean, God was already on the move. He wasn't like... He wasn't like asking God to move here. He was setting himself into and in the midst of what God was doing. Arise, O oh God. Well, he, he arose already. But what am I saying? Arise, O oh God, let your enemies be scattered. I'm putting myself into that equation. I'm putting the people of Israel into that equation. I'm declaring that this is what we're looking for. This is what we desire. This is what we would like to have happen here. We are setting ourselves with you in the midst of your moving and in the midst of what you're doing already. I want to be in it. I want to be in the middle of it. I want to be a part of that. And we're expressing that to him. He expressed his desire and God responded. You see, there is a confidence that arises from that. 
I mean, they could look at the cloud and say, whoa, yeah, God, look, there he is. There's the ark. We're moving. Yeah, but how are we setting our faith? How are we setting our confidence? How are we setting our, our, our thoughts and our minds? Arise, O oh God, and let your enemies be scattered. That's how we're going to set that. Now, to me, that brings definition. That brings definition to our attitude. Because it's one thing to do, just look and say, okay, we're moving. It's another thing to set a definition that calls on and says, God, arise and let your enemies be scattered. Let those who oppose you, let those who hate you, let them disperse. Yeah. See, that's us setting a confidence. That's us setting an attitude that we're going to move in, and that's us setting an attitude that we're going to step forward in. Those of you that come to evangelism, we do it every week. You hear it every single week. We set an attitude every time we gather. You go on outreaches, that's what we do. It's just a part of it, and it's a part of who we are. We go overseas, we're doing evangelism, we do the same thing. Same thing. Like, well, Andy, you pray the same thing every time. Yep, I do. And you know what? Moses got up every time they moved. They said, Arise, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered. He was setting an attitude, and he was setting a way of seeing things. And there's something important about that. He did that for 40 years. 40 years. I haven't been praying the same thing for 40 years. Not yet. Not yet. Have not. Close, but not. No, I'm not there yet. But he said the same stuff every <laughs> for 40 years, every time they moved. Yeah, because he was setting it, and he was setting his expectation. He was setting his faith. So a confidence would arise among the people. In the New Testament, we see the same thing expressed through the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in us. Like you think about that pillar that rose up, and you think about... You know, how, how that was shown through the ark and all of that. Well, we have a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And you can call that the gifts of the Spirit, however you want to call it. And I don't want to keep it too narrow of a definition, but that's what I want you to understand, that there's something important about that manifestation of the Spirit in our lives. There's something important about proclaiming that. There's something important about taking hold of the gifts that God has given us. There's something important about moving in those gifts on a regular basis. There's something important about setting ourselves in line with what God is doing and letting God build that confidence and build that assurance in us. Because we need a longing and a desire in us for God. We just do. Not, not taking Him for granted, not taking His presence for granted, but a real longing and desire in our hearts. And I know it's one thing to say that, but to actually experience that and live in the middle of that, there's something powerful with it. There's something powerful to it. Uh, in, uh, let's look in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. First Corinthians chapter 14.
Need a volunteer. I'm going to read a couple of verses. Need a volunteer to read verse 1. Okay, read it again. Christian love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. All right. So we're given an instruction in 1 Corinthians 14.1 to earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that we might prophesy. And that earnestly desire is a word that is used negatively through most of the scripture. That's why they interpret it with fancier words. But it basically means to covet. And it's the only thing in the Bible you can really covet. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy. There's something to be said about that kind of a longing. Uh, when I was young in the faith, that was one thing that set apart uh, my path that I took. And people warned me against it or whatever but you know oh, you're way too far into that what into God's spirit how are you going to be way too far into his spirit I don't I don't I don't understand that statement but that's what I was told oh you're out of balance out of balance of what what am I out of balance in you know I could not figure it out to save my life years later I kind of figured out what they were talking about but I'd read something like that in 1 Corinthians 14.1, and it was an earnestly desire, covet. Now, think about the things in your life. If you've ever coveted anything, that's what you think about, man. That's what you think about. That's what your heart's set on. And you're thinking about, I mean, in times you're not even supposed to be thinking about it, right? Whatever that thing is, or that person, or whatever it is, you know, it's, it's it's unhealthy in a sense. And I get that. That's why God says not to covet. There's something inherently unhealthy in coveting whatever it is. And yet here we have a command to do so for deaths. The Holy Spirit, Him manifesting in and through our lives. He's like, you're supposed to want that. A lot. <clears throat> Inordinately. Weirdly. You're supposed to want it. And and so I, I spent years praying for more. I still pray for more. But I spent years like earnestly, earnestly praying for more all the time. I want more. I want more of your presence. I want more of your gifts. I want more of your anointing. I want more. I want more. I want more. Unashamedly. I just want more. So I read verse 39, verse of chapter 14. man you're just yeah ready to pounce right I'm eager eager yeah yeah 
Yeah, and you think about the, the connotations of that word, eager. Are they good or are they kind of weird? <laughs> Seriously. Like, like, you know, like, uh, yeah, I'm not saying denotatively. I'm saying connotatively. If you hear somebody a little eager or over-eager, how does that, how does that come across? Annoying and rude. That's right. Yeah, there's all kinds of uh, connotation to the word, right? So be careful of that, though, because we're told to be eager. Eager. We're eager. That's what we're supposed to be eager for. And so I, I, I want to do that, that thing there, prophesying. I want that. I want the greater gifts, especially that I might prophesy. I'm going to covet that. I'm going to go after that. That's what I'm thinking about. I'm going to keep thinking about it. I'm going to keep asking for that. I'm going to keep going for it. Now, now relate this back to Moses they're breaking camp. They're ready to go. He says the same thing every time. What's he looking for? Arise, O God, let your enemies be scattered. He's eager. All right? He wants that. He wants God to arise. He wants the enemies to be scattered. He wants it. He wants all those that hate God to be, to be dispersed. Why? He's got a million people behind him. Families and children. He's got his reasons. Right? But he's letting his desire be known. He's laying it out. And and David was somebody like that too. That it, whatever was going on, he's just laying it out. This is what I need. This is what I want. This is what I'm looking for. Here it is. In New Testament... We have these verses in 1 Corinthians 14, and I, and I, I, admittedly, I latched on. I latched on to that because it, it gave me something. It told me something about who I'm supposed to be. It told me something about what God has for me. It told me something about His desire to interact not only with me, but through me into the lives of other people. That's exciting to me. It's exciting to me. Like, yeah, but that's so one-dimensional. Yeah, right. Right. Were there not other things going on in the life of Israel when Moses was praying this every time they were getting ready to leave? Yeah, there were other things going on. Yeah, Moses was involved in, in the sacrifices. He was involved in all those things. He was involved, you know, when people were coming in and, and they're bringing in, uh, like, all the guilt offerings and they're bringing in the first fruits offerings and the tabernacle being set up and the worship that went on. He was involved in all of those things. And all those things were important in the life of Israel. And all those things were important in the heart and, and, and who they were as a nation. It was all important. But man, when they got up to go, there's one thing that he did. What? He let his desire be known. Rise up, let your enemies be scattered. Talk to me about Jesus. Is Jesus concerned about uh, forgiveness? Sure. Is he concerned about grace? Yeah. Is he concerned about love? Yeah. Salvation? Of course. The whole gospel is all about that. Let me tell you, if I'm going to covet anything and I'm going to earnestly desire, he told me what that would be. Why do you think? How is this related to the other purposes that we see in the gospel? Think about that. Why is it important that we have a strong presence and a responsive presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, working in us and through us? Why is that important? What does that that do for preaching the gospel? Important? Not important. How does that have to do with forgiveness? 
The Holy Spirit's presence, His presence in us and through us. Important or not important? Important. How about our salvation? Important or not important? I think it's pretty important. I think all of those things. How about holy living? Important. How was Jesus empowered to go about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil? Why? Because God was with him. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. That's how he did it. That's how it happened. And so if that's how it happened for Jesus, and he was anointed of the Holy Spirit, he went about doing good, doing good, okay, that's part of the gospel, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, that's part of the gospel. Because God was with him, that's why he says he puts a premium on it. Get that. Get it. He restrained the church in Jerusalem till they got it. Wait here until you be endued with power from on high. So he told them. Now he'd already breathed into them. They, he'd already breathed into them. And the Holy Spirit had gone into them in John chapter 20. He still said, wait here until you're, you're endued with power from on high. So he restrained the church until the day of Pentecost. They were empowered, and then he released them to preach the gospel. That's how important that was. So if it was that important then, and then we got all this stuff in 1 Corinthians 14 that tells us this is how we're supposed to react, these are the desires that we're supposed to have, we need to get it. We need to get it. Yeah. So, what you're saying, What do you mean? What do we do when, when we're trying to encourage someone to pursue God with all their heart and to, to find Him, to latch on what He wants for their life, which is not to be so self-absorbed and self-focused, but to really, you know, pursue Him. How do we encourage them to see and hear and know? I mean, what do we suggest to them? Well, I, this, sounds really, this sounds really like one-sided, what I'm saying. But this is what I've found to be the case, is that once people are baptized in the Holy Spirit and they're moving in the gifts, that they're less self-absorbed and they're more aware of what the Holy Spirit's doing. It's as simple as that. And so us allowing people to exist in that quasi-spiritual state, I don't think does them any favors. That, that's what I see. Yeah. Right. Not necessarily in that order. Right. But I mean, still, there's like, I guess what I'm saying is, even for me, I went through a period of time where it was like, <clears throat> distraction was a huge thing. Like, I would go through the day and then I'd be like, God, where were you? Where did I put you in my day? And then I'd just feel like, weighed down and burdened, like, ah, oh, I didn't do what I was supposed to do. And John G. Lake even said, you know, if there's one characteristic of hell, it's distraction. Right. 
Right. Right, and I'm not saying that, that that doesn't happen. Of course it does. I'm just saying for a fighting chance, we have to set our hearts and set our minds to set our resolve. And how did Moses do that? He made this proclamation. How do we do that? We have our own proclamations to make. So if we make those proclamations and we're actually receiving and living in that, I think we got we stand a better chance because everybody gets distracted. But we stand, to me, we stand a better chance. Like you talk to people that go on, say, go on an outreach or on a mission trip, all right? And it, two things happen. One, you're removed out of your everyday circumstance. But number two, there's a singleness of focus. And there's a clarity of focus. And, you know, even, even on a, an outreach that's, what, six hours long, there's a clarity of focus. And it's during those times where we're more open, we're more sensitive, and we're, we're better, I'm trying to think of the word, we're, we're better um, able to really sense what God has for us, not only in those moments, but also in life in general. So in other words, like how many people have I known that received a call when they were on a mission, a short-term mission trip? Lots. Why? Because that's the moment that they're focused. Yeah, um, and and the more arduous the trip, the more that happens. Right. Yeah. So I, you know, I, and I'm not asking God to put us into extreme circumstances in order for us to listen to Him. I'm not. But he might do that. He may do it. I'm not asking for it though. I'm not asking for that. What I'm, what I want to do is I want to set my uh, resolve best way I know how every day. And, and then go from there. Days that I do that, and I don't do it every day. I should, but I don't. But days that I do that, my days go better, they're more focused, and I'm more useful to the kingdom in those days than I am days where I'm, where I'm drifting. And I know that. And so Moses' example to us, because he had a million people following him, is don't drift. I mean, he couldn't afford to drift because of all the people. He couldn't afford to drift because of the the, the literal stakes that that were in front of him, you know. And we don't have those same stakes, in a sense, that we recognize anyway. And so if for us, it, it, I mean, we have to set the resolve. I mean, it just has to be part of our life. We're going to do it. Right. But I would say all of us run a risk of spiritual, you know, separation, spiritual. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that it is, it is just as crucial that people guard their hearts to the, to guard against that. Yeah, I don't want to waste my life. Right. And I don't like that feeling. I don't like a feeling when I waste a day. You mentioned that? I hate that feeling. And I know I wasted a day, or a week, or a month, or a year. Yeah. You know, you're following me. So, that's a terrible feeling. Especially when we get older. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, there's no judgment here. I'm just saying that's just what it is, you know. 
so I so I took I took what Moses did. We we look in the New Testament. What's our how are we going to do this? How are we going to set it? Well, I think it is I think it's uniquely and intimately involved with the Holy Spirit in us. I really do. I believe that. I believe it's intimately involved with His presence, intimately involved with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, intimately involved in that flow through us. But I also believe it opens up a flow for us, a victorious flow in our life. I think it opens up a, a life-giving flow, a, a strength-giving flow in our life. I believe that. Is it if we will set our resolve. And because it just seems, uh, and I'm trying not to make this sound completely rote, like uh, if A then B. Well, there's certain things in the kingdom that are if A then B. There are. And and so, it, it regardless of you know how you want to fancy it up, or regardless of how you want to make it more interesting or whatever, if A then B. If we set the resolve and we set ourselves in faith, uh, that that opens up a flow, a victorious, life-giving, strength-giving flow in our life. That's what I've seen. That's what I've experienced. And without doing that, you got that drifting, kind of foreboding, um, I'm wasting my time feeling, which is not any of those things that I just mentioned. And... uh, is it that stark of a contrast? Yeah. Yeah. It really is. So. so every time the ark moved, there it was. There's Moses. He's out front. Arise, O God, let your enemies be scattered. What did he have to say? He set the resolve. The people rose up. And a million people or 500,000 or however many you want to believe were there, they just moved. And they went. And they went with a common, shared resolve most of the time that their God was with them and he was taking care of them. And there's a sense of being with God. And you can you can talk about, well, God's always with us. Yeah, he is. You need, though, to realize that you're with him. Okay? I can, I can talk about God's omnipresent. God, God is eminent, God, whatever you want, whatever word you want to use. But we need a sense that we're with God. Right? We need that sense that we're moving with Him, and that we're that that He's with us. We're with Him. Something that's continuous, something that is uninterrupted. You think about that in this situation, in the desert, they had the cloud. Well, they could always look at the cloud, right? What did the cloud tell them? What did the cloud tell him? What does it say about God? Where is he? He's right here. What about the ark? He looked at the ark. What did that tell him? He's right there. That's it. There, there is people. Okay? The covenant is in that ark. His agreement with them is in that ark. And so that agreement states that there is people. So here he is, and we're his people. They can look at that. But that doesn't mean... It's real here. It just means they can see it. You can pick up a Bible anytime you want and read about that you're God's people. You can read anytime you want in the written word that God is with you right now. Anytime you want. 
And that's a book, that's a word that has lasted for thousands of years. And there it is. And it is sure, and it is right, and it is real, and there it is. And yet, it may not be here, though. And so, to the, the, the sense of being with God has to come on two different levels according to this. One level is what you can see. Okay? I see the pillar. I see the ark. God's with me, and we're his people. I get that. Okay, now... I want a sense of being with him. And that's when Moses stood up. says, Arise, O God, let your enemies be scattered. Declaring that. Declaring a resolve. Declaring his desire. Declaring what he is he's looking for with God in that moment. I mean, the assurance is there, but the desire needs to be there too. And that desire is expressed by us voicing that desire with God daily or more or even more so they go together they go together to produce a continuous uninterrupted sense of God's presence in our life I got the word I know I'm his people and I know he's with me I I can quote the verses that tell me that I know that's true now I'm going to share desire in my heart. i got to earnestly desire. i got to covet. I've got to get a hold of that presence of God in me and through me and let's see Him manifested through my life today. And those things go together. That's when God responds. That's the flow. That's the victorious life-giving and strength-giving flow that happens. That's what I have. Anybody have any comments or questions? And the and the real working at it is that it does happen every day. That's what we're working toward. The reality is, okay, it's not happening every day. But let's move ourselves in that direction. Set that tone. Set that resolve. Right. It's like I eat on a mission trip, but my focus is so much more 
Right. Yeah. You know, things get in the way. <laughs> I know. I understand. All right, let's pray. Father, I, I just thank you that uh, you're really good. And you got so much good for us. And Moses, he, he cried out, every time, rise up. Lord, rise up and let your enemies be scattered. Let those who hate you run away from you. God, I thank you that you want to set a resolve in us. You want to set an attitude in us. As we look at your provision for our lives, I want to say thanks for your Holy Spirit. And thanks for the encouragement we have, the command we have in the scriptures to earnestly desire, earnestly desire more, earnestly desire the greater gifts, especially that we might prophesy, to earnestly desire to to really speak your word. And so God, tonight I, I thank you that that earnest desire for you to speak not only in us and through us, but to speak into the lives of, of the people that we run into and and that we come across, the the desire in our hearts to be filled with more of you, the desire of our hearts to be used in more of you for the miraculous and the supernatural to become such a, a regular part of our lives as you manifest in us and through us. God, I thank you that there's a release that comes from that, a flow, a victorious flow that comes from that it's life-giving and strength-giving, not only to us, but to the people around us. And so, God, I pray that we would set a tone every day. That you'd teach us to do that. And if we forget one day and remember at lunch, we'll set the tone then. And if we forget one day, but we get up the next day and remember, we'll set the tone then. But, God, I just ask you that whenever we get up to move, Whenever we get up to go, whenever we get up and are led by you, like today, it will set the tone. More of you, God. More of your presence. More of your power. More of your Holy Spirit. We want more. We want more. So God, tonight, as Daph said, you continue to have your way in us. I pray those among us who have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit would really earnestly seek to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, to be filled just from head to toe, inundated, soaked in your Holy Spirit. Yeah. I pray that you would fill us, God. Fill us as we earnestly desire more of you. Fill us to overflowing. Thank you, God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the comunidad. Yeah, see, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah.